Well, hello, and welcome to Rich Text for another book club episode. I'm Claire. And I'm Emma. And today we will be talking to the co-authors of We Are Not Like Them, Christine Pride and Joe Piazza. Thank you so much to both of you for joining us. We're really excited to dive in and talk about everything that this novel brings up. And we're so happy to be here. Thanks for having us. I know we're going to have so much fun. So since most of our listeners probably won't have read the book by the time they listen to this episode, it actually comes out, I believe, tomorrow of the day that this episode will be released uh, on October 5th. Uh, Can you start maybe, Joe, by telling our readers a little bit about what We Are Not Like Them is about? Yeah, I'd love to. So We Are Not Like Them is a novel. And first and foremost, it is a novel about a lifelong friendship between two women who have known each other for nearly 30 years. That was really important to Christine and I because we see romantic love celebrated in novels Mm -hmm. and books all the time. But for us, our friendships are the backbones of our lives. And we wanted to make sure to get that down on the page and celebrate that kind of important female friendship that just gets us through the goddamn day. And so that is the basis of We Are Not Like Them. But we also, I'm, and this is hard to see in audio, so I'll just say it. I'm a white woman and Christine's a black woman. So our two characters are Jen and Riley, a white woman and a black woman. And Jen is the wife of a Philadelphia police officer. Riley's a newscaster. And in the beginning of the book, Jen's husband, Kevin, shoots an unarmed black teenager. And Riley is the journalist assigned to cover it. And for the first time, these two best friends have to reckon with what race means between the two of them. And it forces them to have difficult conversations. And in writing it, we are not like them forced Christine and I to have difficult conversations about race. And we think all of that gets down on the page. And I think that's one of the reasons that all of the early reviews are saying this book is going to give your book club so much to talk about. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. Um, Christine, I would love to hear from you, like where the initial seedlings for We Are Not Like Them came from. Like why write a book about interracial friendship in, in this moment? Yeah. So Joe and I met when I was um, her editor, actually, at Simon & Schuster, and we just worked so well together in the author-editorial relationship. And not only that, we just became close fast, right? We had that spark of friendship when you meet somebody and you feel like, oh my God, I just, we have so much in common and let's do this and let's do that. Um, It was that that giddy rush. Uh, And then we worked together on another project uh, that was a tie into the television show Younger. And we also worked really well on that. And I had been batting around an idea for a while. Uh, I mean, it was obviously there were these rashes of headlines about police shootings. um, And it was in a particularly fraught period where there were lots of headlines. I feel like these things go in ebbs and flows, right? So this was March, 2018. Mm -hmm. And the idea was, you know, to take a friendship between a black woman and a white woman and sort of put it to the ultimate test, right? And in the headlines at the time, and sadly still today, you know, these incidences force us to do a lot of reckoning about race, right? On a bigger picture. But what if that reckoning needed to come? 
between two women who, as Joe said, you know, have known each other their whole lives. And so it felt like a really ripe opportunity to explore a relationship like that on the page itself, but also in terms of collaborating together, Joe and I as a black woman and a white woman, we were bringing a unique approach to the table, right? Like we were able to bring our individual perspectives and experiences, you know, the conversations that Joe hears that I don't hear, the conversations that I hear that Joe doesn't hear. Uh, and we could bring all that to the table and tell a story that was going to be richer and more complex and more authentic by way of our telling it together than either of us approaching the story as individual women. Right. So I guess the, the, the idea of the book being centered around an incident of police brutality that was there kind of at the genesis for you, Christine, that like that would be sort of the, the anchor point of this conflict. Is that, is that where it came from? Absolutely. Because, you know, our goal was to take readers behind and beyond these headlines, right? Like we see Mm -hmm. these stories in the news over and over again, again, sadly. And, um, you know, it's easy for it to become, to become desensitized, frankly, right? Or to have everything blur together and to not really comprehend the human and emotional toll behind these stories. And so our goal was to take readers into that with real human, flawed, complicated characters so that we get to see the family of the shooting victim. And we get to see the newscaster, in this case, Riley, who's covering the story. And obviously there are real life newscasters covering these stories all the time, right? And we get Mm -hmm. to see the police officer involved who has a spouse and a family as, you know, real police officers are involved in these incidences do. And so by bringing all of these characters alive and taking readers into really what's happening behind the scenes, you know, we're just offering a human dimension and complexity and nuance and hopefully helping people see the different reactions and emotions and thoughts and perspectives various uh, you know people have when these things happen yeah that's interesting I mean it sounds like you're sort of positioning this novel and books in general, which I think is very apt, um, sort of as vehicles for empathy building between. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Christine and I share a brain at this point. Three years of writing a book together. Um, So we usually chime in at the same time, but we actually, we wrote a piece uh, for a, a publication in the UK about whether or not reading can make you less racist. And both of us just believe in the power of storytelling, read empathy, and to help you walk in someone else's shoes and to help you figure out how you feel about a very complex issue. And frankly, so much of the content surrounding race has been it's very academic or it gets kind of preachy. And that's not where we wanted to go with We Are Not Like Them. First and foremost, we want you to lose yourself in this story, in these characters, in this friendship. And, but then come away thinking about something a little more. And that's what we think good literature, good commercial fiction really does for people. 
Mm. Yeah. And I guess I'm going to add to that in that, you know, there's still people really want to have these conversations, I think now more than ever, particularly in our post George Floyd world. Um, but there's an audience of people who might not, um, you know, be drawn to all the great nonfiction out there. Don't get me wrong, but you know, histories and statistics and uh, you know, issue issue oriented books and so forth. That might not be their cup of tea, right? But this is, as Joe said, really um, we like to think at least a compelling story in and of itself, and that. Um, this is, you're connecting with two women on the page and you're rooting for a friendship on the page. And so as much as this is about race, which is a subject that we wanted to take on head on, we don't shy away from that, of course, but it's also not just a book about race, right? Like there's a lot of <laughs> right. universal elements that affect this friendship, uh, particularly long term friendship where you have distance and how much do people grow and change and how much do things bubble up in your relationship and what else don't you talk about and what do you talk about and uh you know so there's a lot there's a lot there on the page for readers to talk about and hopefully identify with and celebrate friendship that's uh you know not solely about race yeah and and obviously your friendship forms the backbone in a way of this story, just in the sense that you, you co-wrote this novel. How long had you guys known each other when you decided to start this project? And had you had conversations about race, about whiteness within that friendship before doing this? No. <laughs> sure didn't. Sure didn't. Uh-uh. No, no, no. Um, Spoiler so. alert. <laughs> we didn't. And, you know, Christine and I, it feels like we've been friends for a lot longer, but we've only been friends for about five or six-ish years. I started writing, I sold Charlotte Walsh Likes to Win around 2015, 2016. I don't, time means nothing anymore. And <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Um, but we did, you know, we became friends pretty quickly, but we became friends through work, which is in the beginning is a very superficial kind of friendship. But I think it's the way a lot of adult women do make friends because it's, let's face it, it's hard to make friends as an adult. And when we've got so much going on, but, and I have to be really honest in a lot of these interviews, um, and when we were writing the book, I grew up in a pretty white bubble. I went, I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia in a, you know, working class, middle-class town that was, was mostly white. I went to an all-girls Catholic school where I did, I went through my yearbooks because I'm like, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. There were, there had to be, no, okay. It was also, my graduating class was, was all white. And I hadn't had to flex these kinds of muscles, the kinds of muscles where you talk about race on a regular basis. Meanwhile, Christine has to talk about race since she can talk. She like It is a privilege as a white woman to not have to talk about race. So when we started working on this book together, there was a part of me that was like, I can talk about anything. I am a journalist, my friends. I talk about things all the time that I don't know anything about. And that was fucking dumb. Uh, so I... I really had to develop 
a whole new language and a lot of new muscles to be able to talk about race. And it was hard for the two of us. Like we went through a lot of ups and downs and difficult conversations. And I'm sure Christine was just so annoyed with me a lot of the time. And we had to figure out what that looked like. And Christine has been talking, like she has, she has a lot of, of white friends and has, but has also been in publishing for 20 years, which is a very white space. And so she's had these conversations with her white friends before. I have not had the ability to have these conversations with my black friends before because I haven't had any close black friends. I have acquaintances and people I hang out with and I drink with, but we're not getting into it when we're going out for drinks. So she had to give me the grace to really screw it up sometimes and also to step away and be like, I can't be your professor of 400 years of, um, you know, systemic racism. I just can't, I don't want to be, and nor should she have to be. And those are all of those conversations. A lot of them just, they made it into the book, whether directly or the emotions that our characters were feeling. And because you go into their heads, the book's first person, you can see what the characters think, but then you can see what they say. And it's almost always different. And so we're hoping that everyone can see a little bit of themselves in these characters and then start some of the conversations they've been wanting to have, which Christine and I did. And, you know, it almost blew up our friendship, but we got back together. Better, better <laughs> it's a happy ever. ending. It's a happy <laughs> ending. I mean, I think it's a happy ending for us for sure, but we practice what we preach. And so I think that the happy ending for us here is we hope inspirational. I mean, forget, yeah. you know, what's on the, the page of the book itself, which we also hope is good, but even our story outside of the book and in, in confronting these conversations, we, we, as Joe said, we talk about it so openly and honestly, because we hope that can be helpful to other people in terms of having these kind of conversations and being, you know, we use the phrase a lot, being willing to go there and leaning into your discomfort and um, all of those sorts of things that, you know, you just have to do. It's not, you know, there's no way out, but through, right. You just, you have to do these things. And we, we learned that <laughs> and now we're sharing that. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I actually am curious about something that, that Joe said that, I was wondering about a lot as I read this book and as I think about, you know, having these conversations, which is that it seems like there is a bit of, uh, that there's an asymmetry that, that works in, in two ways. Like there's obviously the, the privilege of whiteness in our society, but, uh, you know, that, that comes with a lot of ignorance and a lot of, um, the ability to avoid, uh, paying attention to, uh, to what privilege means and to what uh, race means in our society. And so uh, as a Black person coming to this conversation, you're coming, um, it seems like, with so much more knowledge and understanding about the issue and about white people from having to live in the world that they have made um, than a white person is bringing to that conversation. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, Christine, like how you navigated that dynamic and that feeling of, you know, I'm going to have to now be positioned as like your professor of this painful history um, and coming to this with so much more experience with having this conversation. Right. And it's a really good question and a really good perspective. And I think even just realizing that, uh, you know, that that's how the world operates and that would be my experience um, is really 
affirming to hear. Uh, but the, I really, and especially in creating Riley's character, though both Joe and I did create both characters and, you know, really worked on both characters together. A lot of people assume, you know, Christine wrote the black character and Joe wrote the white character, uh, which was not the case. But having said that, obviously a lot of Riley's experiences as a black woman stemmed from my experiences as a black woman. Um, and first and foremost, I just wanted Riley, and this is really important to me, both as a black woman and a storyteller, that Riley be a fully formed character that, um, you know, had was not falling to any into any stereotypes and tropes that we so commonly see in books, TV, you know, pop culture in general. Um, and that Riley wasn't a stand-in for every Black person. Riley wasn't a stand-in for every Black experience, right? Riley wasn't stock Black person who's going to tell you how it is in the world. Um, Riley isn't trying to explain to anyone how things are, uh, and nor was I in this book, and I was very conscious about that as a writer, but rather Riley was just allowed to have the experiences that she has, the perspective that she has, you know, the, the flaws that she has and be a fully formed um, character on the page without having to carry all that weight of being representative. And that so happens, so often happens with black people, right? Like if, especially when you're the only one uh, you become representative of a whole mass of people. And that um, is, is, is not fair. Uh, and so I really, was cognizant about that. And that Riley, again, didn't fall into common tropes. We so rarely see a certain type of, you know, successful middle-class black female heroine as the star of a pulp culture piece of content, right? A movie or a book or what have you. And that's changing and for the better. Um, but it was really important to me to offer something to the world that push that along, right? So that you see different kinds of black people and black experiences reflected on the page. Yeah. What was it like for the two of you to, to shape these characters together? Like if you're working on a section from Jen's perspective, what did that look like? Like, are you sending each other drafts back and forth to write through? Are you having like just conversations about how a scene is going to go. Uh, it seems like a really challenging process to shape these characters sort of yeah. at the same time. I feel like we were we were both reading the book and being like, how I want to know like how they did this on a technical <laughs> level because it is, it sounds so challenging. That's funny because sometimes I look back and I'm like, how did we do that? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> And it's one of our favorite things to talk about. And I'd like to embarrass Christine at this point in the interview and say that um, the publishing industry is not very tech forward. And as a longtime editor, Christine did not use Google Docs. And I had to introduce her to Google Docs because it's the only <laughs> way to collaborate on a book. In the beginning, we were trading back and forth Word documents. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, enough. <laughs> enough with the word documents 
And Forget it, the uncomfortable conversations about race. This was an early flashpoint for sure. <laughs> I actually, I don't know if the race talk was more heated than the you get your ass on Google documents talk. <laughs> so yeah, we, we use Google Docs and we use Google Docs now. We're just starting our second book and we're, you know, we're very, we're in it. We're like in it to win it with the Google Docs. No, still, we cannot get anyone else in publishing to use Google Docs. We've tried. And we also, in the beginning, I mean, I've written 10 books at this point, which seems crazy, but it's true. And Christine is a brilliant editor. So in the very beginning, we kind of reverted to those roles where we had an outline and I would just throw things onto the blank page. And then she would edit, but like really heavy edit, like rip it up and rewrite it. But as a lot of people know, the blank page is scary if you haven't been a writer before. Terrifying. Yeah. And, and I, I was, I was still I was terrifying. Yeah. yeah, definitely still yeah. terrifying to all of us. Yeah. And I was, I was also a tabloid reporter on deadlines. So like, like in the 2000s. So if I didn't file copy, some like Australian dude would piss in the corner and throw something at my face. So <laughs> I like, I just live in fear of not writing words on a page. So I would do that, but then it just became a lot more natural so many of our ideas come to us in like the shower or on a run and we'll be or texting at 2 or at 2 a.m. <laughs> and we'll be texting each other being like, oh, this is what Riley is doing. And then we'll go into the Google Doc and we'll put it in. I mean, it was constantly like each of us just kept putting layers on and like layers and layers and then many discussions and then the crux of it. And we tell, tell this to everybody. We read it out loud to each other. And that is what makes any manuscript so much better mm. oh wow that sounds terrifying yeah that's awful never read my words yeah I, n- <laughs> I never want to hear my my written words spoken aloud sounds awful yeah. sounds well, like torture I would make Joe use her podcast voice so <laughs> <laughs> you're like oh that sounds so smooth exactly <laughs> you both have great podcast voice from what it's I true. can tell <laughs> Um, that's funny. It's actually sounds like in a way, very similar to how Emma and I work when we co-write and it, it's hard, but it also, there is a momentum that comes when you see the other person putting words down and you're like, I guess this is happening. Like (laughs) I'm going to put my words in too. Um, how often did you have a situation where one of you would write something for one of the characters to do or say, or think, and the other person would just be like, no, like, I can't believe you think that they would do or think or say that. I think, well, two things, and and this gets back to our conversation about sort of our, some of our early conflict about the race, capturing the racial dynamic between the two women, because Riley and Jen met when they were very young. And so they were not, you know, they were five or so. So they were not having these conversations about race, obviously kids on the playground are not talking about the latest Ta-Nehisi Coates. So um, they never developed kind of the muscle to do that. And obviously now in the course of the book need to do that. And it was a similar um, trajectory that Joe and I are on just because, you know, we didn't meet as kids, obviously, but we had a new friendship and had to have these conversations. And one of the early flashpoints that we have had, which I, I don't even remember what the exact scene was, but in trying to create this credible friendship between them, I was trying to get across to Joe, this idea that 
they, they would have to have talked about race or they have to talk about race in order for this to be the close, authentic, intimate relationship that we want it to be. Like I, as a black person, could never feel close to another white person without having talked about race and my experiences and understanding, getting that they understood those experiences, right? We can talk Mm -hmm. about sex and men and our families and sure, all of that helps women bond, uh, especially, and uh, creates a closeness and friendship, but there's that extra layer there. Um, And so we were struggling with a scene, I think at some point where we were trying to get this dynamic across in a conversation that they were having, but I think it spilled over to our personal friendship. And I'll let Joe weigh in here where, you know, it's this idea of we can't be close if we can't talk about race. And I think Joe felt a little defensive about that. Is that right, Joe? Totally. Yeah. And because we hadn't talked about race. And so I was like, well, uh, so we're not close friends. So you don't want to be my close friend. So with like this friendship is just purely a professional relationship. I felt bad because I felt, I felt like I hadn't done enough. I felt like I had failed. And of course then, you know, my fear and my anxiety, it always that you get defensive, which is then the worst possible reaction to have because getting defensive immediately shuts down any good conversation and yeah that was one of our one of our points that we really had to get over and I think that that was the the real breaking point where we're like oh my gosh maybe we can't do this book together which at that point we were contractually obligated to do this book (laughs) together um and we're like just give just cancel the contract and give the money back and I'll, whatever, I'll go live in a van down by the river. <laughs> Maybe that's better than having, having to get past this. Um, and we didn't. And I think that we are closer now, but, and I, you know, I'm saying all this stuff and I feel like, I still feel kind of dumb and stupid saying it, but I want to, and I want to be really vulnerable because I honestly do think that there are a lot of white people out there who feel the same way. And that the defensive mechanism is really just because we're scared. We're scared of sounding stupid or saying the wrong thing or insulting somebody. And if we can get comfortable enough to get over that, then we can start having the real conversations and having real conversations and real empathy. Like that's where we can get to a point where change actually starts to starts to happen. And I had to have a lot of patience around that, right? Because, you know, I do feel like there's the biggest hurdle in forging interracial friendships, in my opinion, um, based on some experience from a, from a Black person's perspective, is this idea that if you, you need to be open and honest about your experiences with race, and that might mean in generally speaking, your historical experiences with race, or that might mean, you know, oh my God, this horrible thing just happened, kind of an immediate urgent kind of, oh, I need to confide this experience. And you need to have the confidence and trust of what you're going to be met with, right? Like you, I'm going to bring this situation to you and I need to trust your reaction. And so often white people's reactions are, um, 
you know, n- not the best if I can generalize, right? Like it, ca- <laughs> yeah, it, I think it, that's that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> it sometimes comes down to almost a very predictable either defensiveness or you know a dismissiveness, right? Like you're overreacting, or I don't want to talk about this, or you know whatever, or um, you know just a a, a sense of I, like shutting down, you know, I don't want to hear about this. I don't want to talk about this, even if it's not explicit. And so you really are on edge and stealing yourself to be able to, okay, no, I have to do this, which I felt, you know, with Joe for sure. And yet I know this is going to be the outcome. And then I know we're going to have to do this, right? Like you can kind of see the three steps ahead. Um, and so that was on, on top of the, actual work itself, you know, putting the words on the page, uh, we're kind of dealing with two dynamics at the same time, uh, which was both challenging, but I think looking back, meaningful. And just to segue, because we keep talking about race, we keep talking about race, which is, again, so important. But in terms of writing a book together, we had other, I don't want to say disagreements, but the, the um, it, it was a dynamic process in terms of two people bringing different ideas to the table. And what I'll say is I appreciate so much about Joe is she has ideas out the wazoo. Like, how about we try this? Let's do this. Let's do that. It's because of her that we wrote an entire book in third person and then rewrote an entire book in first person. Uh, She's not afraid to, you know, try anything. Uh, And so I think it's so interesting about any dynamic creative or relationship or otherwise, like people uh, balance each other out, right? So Joe often had these sometimes wild ideas. Let's try this. Let's introduce this character. Let's do this. And I think I was, especially from being an editor for so many years, being used to grounding writers, right? Like in in the mechanics, like, no, that's not going to work for this reason or that you can't do this here because of X, Y, Z. Um, sort of the more structural reality checks. Um, and so I think that ended up being a really good balance for us create, creatively in, in terms of how the story came together. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, as Claire said, we, we co-write much smaller things sometimes, but there is really a value in being able to sort of go back and forth and like absorb another person, another person's creative strengths. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that can be like a really, really fulfilling creative process because as any writer knows, writing alone can be really isolating at times. (laughs) Yeah. I, I really can't imagine. I mean, Joe has a different experience, obviously, because she's written a zillion books and I don't know how she's done that. Um, but I have, you know, I can't imagine both the writing process, I think would be so lonely, but also even as we get to this point where we're out in the world talking about our book, it's just really fun to have somebody by your side to do that and to say things like, can you sit on my right side in this photograph? Because <laughs> my mass acne is acting up on this side, right? You need somebody <laughs> To, to help you with that. If, if you're alone, you just have to stare to the left in your face. And it's awkward. <laughs> the mark of true friendship is letting your friend be on their good side for a photo. Exactly. It's true. It's true. And we did, this happened. So we had to, we had to record um, some TV segments uh, last week and Christine made me sit on one side to mask, okay. mask the mask acne. And you know what? That wasn't my good side. And I was like, fine. <laughs> Fine, I'll do it for you. I love this you. is how much I love you. <laughs> how much I love you. 
that's and the I was power like, of just this one time i'm gonna do some <laughs> some deep cleansing toning don't worry it's just it doesn't work <laughs> another thing i wanted to talk about like you know, and we are obviously bringing up and right now you are talking about yourselves in this like promotion process. Like that is just inevitably a, like part of what is, is fascinating about your guys's process and writing this particular novel, but also just in general for any, any author, any creative in the current sort of like attention economy, you have to really attach yourself and your story and your face to, to any sort of output you have if you want people to engage with it. And I'm curious how you guys are sort of navigating that given that, you know, you are a black woman and a white woman who are friends writing about an interracial friendship between two women who you have been very clear are not meant to be stand-ins for the two of you. But like, are you, like, how do you navigate the possibility that readers might kind of read them as such anyway because of kind of the I don't know the um economy that we're we all are a part of right now deep pause right there because I'm I I think that a lot of readers will assume that oh of course the white character it must be very similar to Joe and the black character must be very similar to Christine um because that's readers often do assume that you are your characters. Um, I really think the only way to get past it is for us to be really honest about it. Um, and but even though Jen, our character, is not me, I mean, we actually have very little in common. I did grow up, you know, in the on the outskirts of Philadelphia, in the same kind of area where Jen's in-laws live, around a lot of white people who are like Jen's in-laws. Um, and a lot, a lot of the things that we see on the page that are shocking and concerning um, with regards to race, I've heard, I've heard them because I, and Christine ha- probably hasn't heard them in person because these are things that often are said in all white spaces and they're upsetting, but they're also things that I think a lot of white readers will have heard from acquaintances or family members. And I wanted to get those down on the page, even when they're jarring so that people will be like, yeah, that I'm uncomfortable with this sentence, but I've heard it too. Um, And so in that way, especially through the editing process, there's a lot about this book that isn't PC and might be upsetting and we had at one point you know an early early reader was like I don't you can't say that and I was like it's you know it's raw and it's honest and it's the kinds of things that people do say and we can't whitewash it if we want to write an authentic book about race so Jen's not me but the the things that I've experienced and overheard they're absolutely there in her character and in in her family And I think, you know, we really lean into our personal story in terms of talking about this book. There's so much going on in the world right now, as we know. I mean, it's pretty bleak out there in a lot of ways, uh, if we're just honest about it. And so it's really hard to, when you talk about book promotions, you have this idea of, look at us, we wrote a book, you know, buy our book, where it's this kind of crass commercial proposition. Um, 
but, but we really feel so mission oriented about this book. Like we really feel like this is a book that, especially in our society right now where people not only are starved to have certain kinds of conversations, but are starved to have conversations, period. You know, are really just seeking connection with other people after having felt so isolated. Um, and so that's what we're really, in terms of, you know, thinking and talking about this book over the next weeks and months and hopefully years, right? That this is a way, the story and these characters are a way to bring people together um, and to feel at the end of the book good and to want to celebrate friendship, which is a really important aspect to us. And also just to circle back in terms of bringing people together, bringing all different kinds of people together. We were really again, cognizant, and this is so hard to do, and I know this, you know, just being an editor for 20 years, that oftentimes you're reading with a very specific audience for a book in mind, um, but we were really reading this with lots of different audiences for this book. It's really important to me that every Black person who picks up this book feels affirmed, you know, gets the story, is emotionally engaged, it, you know, um, it just connects with the material. Um, and the same way with white audiences, the same way with police officers, the same way with Black Lives Matter activists, right? We were trying to, to make this story have, have as many touch points for as many different people as possible. And that was a, a very hard needle to thread frankly, but now that we've had early reads and we've seen reactions from different types of people, that's the most gratifying part for us that so many different people with different perspectives, different life experiences, different ages, different genders is finding something to, as a touch point and to talk about here. Yeah, it's, it's really incredible. Like, to see a, a book in which people from such polarized experiences um, are trying to find common ground and trying to find friendship and reconciliation. And, you know, you said earlier that, um, that you wanted to give this uh, friendship in the book, like the ultimate stress test. Mm -hmm. And so you have this woman, Jen, her husband is a police officer who is involved, who in this, you know, as they would say in the, the sort of sanitizing new parlance in an officer, in an officer involved shooting, um, he shoots uh, a young black boy uh, while he's on the job um, who dies. And as I, as I read, I really wondered like, you know, do you think these two characters would be able to stay friends in real life? Like with, with Riley covering this, this horrifying case and becoming um, personally, you know, friendly with the mother of the boy. And meanwhile, her best friend's husband is the reason this, this child has died. Um, like that is such an extreme chasm. It feels like of experience, um, did you ever think like, oh, we're just not going to be able to to sell a friendship between people coming from these extremely different places along this divide? 
Well, I think it wouldn't have worked if they were new friends. I mean, we did make some choices that way, right? Like that Mm -hmm. would not have been enough to carry their relationship for sure. But they have this deep and long shared history of decades. And so that's the balance. And I think that's the struggle for both characters and is a universal struggle sort of, you know, I think we all ask ourselves the question in our friendships these days, especially long um, term friendships, which is if I met this person right now, the who I am today, you know, would we be friends? Um, and friends obviously grow apart too over time. And right. I came across the statistic recently that 70% of friendships don't last past seven years, which I think is just so interesting. And I've been mulling over that for a while, but anyway, um, so, you know, it, it, they, they were not going to, and this is no spoilers, but they were not going to just ghost each other after something like this, because they have the shared history, right? It was not going to be the thing. Like we are just suddenly never going to talk again. Um, and especially since this happened outside, they are both deeply affected, but this is not something that happened to their friendship, right? It happened outside of the universe of their friendship. In other words, it wasn't an, a personal betrayal to either mm-hmm. of them um, by one or the other friend. And so they have to have this reckoning, right? And I think the reckoning is, as you just said, is this friendship going to survive? Is there enough here? Can we get to a mutual understanding? And that's a real point of tension. Um, and that's, I, uh, you know, we talk a lot. We, we feel like Ryan and Jen are, even though they're fictional, they are our friends. Um, and I think that that's something that Joe and I even wonder, and readers will wonder, right? Like, you know, books end, stories end. But if you think about the fictional lives of your characters continuing on for a year, two years, five years, 10 years, do they stay friends? That's something I think everybody reading the story and even Joe and I, you know, is, is, is up for uh, is up for questioning. I don't know. What do you think, Joe? Do, do, do Riley and Jen stay friends forever? Or it's unclear. We don't know. Guys, I was muted. I was muted because I didn't have anyone. <laughs> I, I had a I had a child come into the room. Um, Look, this is just the the raw authenticity we <laughs> offer on this podcast. No, so. no shit. Um, I so, thought you were just really giving it a lot of thought. <laughs> I, that too. Um, I want to hope that they would stay friends. And one thing that we want readers to come out the other end of We Are Not Like Them with is like just feeling that power of friendship and how much it really matters and the hope that two friends can make it through anything. But to be honest, I think that friendships fall apart as we get older for way smaller reasons than this. I, they fall apart because you move to a different city or one friend has a child. And even taking race out of the equation, Riley and Jen are dealing with a lot more. Um, Riley worries in the book that when Jen is pregnant and she has a baby, they're gonna become two totally different people. Um, Riley has never really loved Jen's husband, so they haven't bonded in that kind of way. And the one thing they really do have is their shared childhood history. And to be honest, I have a lot of friends 
that I first made friends with in high school or college that I would not choose today. But those friendships do tend to endure for me because it's like, I met you when I was a child. So you're essentially like a sibling now. So I can't (laughs) like, I can't get rid of you, even though I don't agree with any of your life choices. I can't stand your spouse. And I think you might at heart, like be like a sociopath. Um, Just just a couple of the dudes I went to college with fucking love them, but like, Oh, Oh. And so I, like Christine said, because they are childhood friends, I do think there's something else that would help them endure, but we, we make these characters go through a lot on the page and you're not sure. I don't want to give anything away, but you're not sure if they're going to make it. And you'll, you'll have to write the book to find out if, if they do, but I want, I will say writing the book, we wanted them to make it at all points. We really, we wanted it to work for them. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, a fundamental hopefulness sort of mm-hmm. baked mm-hmm. into the story. At least that was definitely my, my sense of it reading. And ultimately like what, what do you want readers to take away from reading this novel? Oh, so much. Uh, I mean, I love what you said about the hopeful feeling because as we talked about, the world is so dark and bleak right now and there's so many scary headlines. And even though we're dealing with something that's obviously very important, urgent and um, harrowing subject matter in terms of you know the, the event that launches our book, we do want this to be kind of humanity affirming and life affirming um, and to, um, you know, as an editor for 20 years and now as a writer, my greatest goal is just to touch people, to have people feel moved by a reading experience. So if somebody turns the last page and really feels, you know, kind of we joke all the feels, right? Like th- throughout, they can be angry and they can be sad and they can be upset and they can laugh in places. You know, we really, I tried uh, you know, with, with some lighter moments. Uh, and so just a sense of, I don't know, emotional fullness for lack of better description. Like that's what I want readers to, to feel sort of satisfied uh, at the end of this book. And that would make me really happy. Yeah. We joke all the time. We're like, and we switch this up to this tagline. We're like, come for the friendship but stay for the social justice. But then we flip it and we're like, but come for the social justice, but you you stay and you love it for, for the friendship. We, um, we actually, in terms of what Christine said of readers feeling satisfied, we did this event with Heineken last week where it was with Heineken's um, like diversity um, and inclusion group. And they had, a black man and a white man read the book. And the white man was this older Southern gentleman. And he told us that he cried at the end of the book, reading our epilogue. And we're like, you were not our target audience, Len. (laughs) (laughs) But like, he came away with both hopefulness and also feeling something that moved him. He said he's gonna do a book club with his other friend. just two, two old Southern white guys doing a book club together and a book about race. And that, I mean, so afterwards, Christine and I are then bawling. We're like, oh my God, it did the things we wanted it to do. So yeah, just like all the feels, all the things, all the book club chats, all the friendship chats. That's what we want. 
Oh, that's the power of, of a story, man. It's can win anyone over. Um, and I definitely cried at the end as well. So. Me too. <laughs> Me too. It's so sad to make people want to cry. But I, it makes me yeah. happy when I hear that, right? I'm just, you I'm like, oh, sound... you did? That's great. And then I sound like a sociopath. You but... sound like one of those sociopaths <laughs> I went to college with. <laughs> I love your tears. <laughs> well, people, the, the reality is that people want to cry. So it's really, uh, it's really. Oh, I love a read that makes me cry. Exactly. Cry. Agents used to send me books saying, you know, for submission saying, this is going to make you cry, Christine. You're going to love it. I'm like, guys, sign me up. I'm all Yeah, you're like, thank it. you for this catharsis. I appreciate it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thank you guys so much for joining us for this conversation. Um, I can already tell so many people are going to have incredible book club and outside of book club chats about this book. And, uh, can you let our listeners know where they can find you and find your book? Sure. You can keep up with tour and events and book updates um, on social media for both of us. I'm on Instagram at at C pride, just C and then my last name, P R I D E. And I'm on Instagram too. I mean, I hate that. I actually hate that Instagram is the easiest place to find Mm -hmm. us, but it just, it is, it just is. Um, I am on at Joe Piazza author and We Are Not Like Them is available wherever books are sold right now. Your indie bookstore, which we love, bookshop.org and the Amazon. I love this. This has been great. Yeah. Such a nice way to spend my like afternoon. I'm I'm happy now going into the afternoon, which is where. Just the way we like it. (laughs) And it's fun to talk to two people who also have creative collaborations, right? You know, it's such a, it is syncretic dynamic, special, unique relationship, right? Uh, yeah, it's really so not the way together. that people conceptualize mm-hmm. the writing process. Um, but I think it is becoming more and more common, you know, like within the realm of books and journalism, sure. But also, you know, so much writing these days is for the screen and like collaboration just brings out so many different uh, possibilities for approaching storytelling and it was Amen. great to hear about your process. Maybe I'll be a PSA for creative collaboration. Yes, <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> be like us. <laughs> You'll be less lonely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is it, isn't that what we're all desperate for, especially right now? Like, Absolutely. Just want a friend. Yeah. Everyone get Google Docs, start writing a book with your friends. <laughs> and, it, and it'll either be the best thing that's ever happened or you're going to crash and burn. So, <laughs> talk about narrative tension. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you both again. And thanks to everyone for joining us for this episode. We'll be back soon with another episode of Rich Text.